Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's card room, where now you can get a first-time deposit bonus all the way up to $2,000 just by using the promo code TPE. So click the link in the description to this podcast to join America's Card Room and use the promo code TPE for a 100% first-time deposit bonus. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I am your host, coming to you from beautiful, bucolic Cleveland, Ohio, where I will be enjoying the holidays And I actually just arrived from Las Vegas, fabulous Las Vegas, where I was participating in the WPT Championship Series at the Win slash Encore, which I have to say, guys, it was absolutely first class from beginning to end. What an amazing series. It just kind of gave you a little, just a taste of what it might be like if someone other than Caesars Entertainment ever owned the World Series of Poker. I mean, the tournaments were great. The uh, the chairs were comfortable. The waitresses were friendly. The dealers were professional. It was just anything you could possibly want from a poker tournament. And we had it all in Vegas at the win. So big time kudos to Ryan and Ray and all the gang at the win poker room, as well as uh, my friends Lance and Matt and everybody else at the WPT for putting on a first-class show and showing the world how a poker tournament should be organized and executed. So I cannot say enough about that. I also want to thank my guest from last week's episode, Mr. Michael Lonkar, who, by the way, did quite well in the WPT Championship, a $10,400 buy-in with, I don't even know, four or 5,000 players, and he proceeded to finish in the top 100 for a big score of $79,000. So big congrats to Michael Lonkar for his accomplishment there. Also, quick shout out to Matt Stout, who uh, also cashed in this tournament and had a huge chip lead after day one. So yeah, we'll have Matt back on the podcast soon as well. But speaking of Michael Lonkar, I got an email. I got a t- you guys about this amazing email that I received from a listener by the name of Sumit who uh, writes, Hi Clayton, I'm a big fan of the podcast and I particularly loved the Lone Car episode. The Lone Car special is my favorite tournament as well on ACR. It must be Destiny because I shipped it tonight while watching live Lone Car battle it out on the WPT win Day four. So Long Car was featured at the uh, featured table on the WPT stream on Twitch. And so evidently, Mr. Sumit had listened to the episode and then proceeded to watch him play on TV while playing his namesake tournament on ACR and took first place in that. So I love these kind of emails. Uh, you know, big congrats to Sumit. Way to go taking that bad boy down. And I wish you much continued success on the virtual felt 
as it were. That episode got a lot of kudos. You guys were really coming out in force to let me know that you enjoyed our interview. And I'm happy to announce that Michael Longcar has also already agreed to come right back on the podcast and talk to me again uh, in the near future. So we we'll look forward to speaking with him once again. Uh, I want to tell you guys something. I, I made a decision like this one time before in my entire career where I go out on a trip and I plan on playing a major buy-in, like a big buy-in event. Um, the other one was the uh, Bahamas many years ago, maybe 2017 or 2018. And I was all prepared to play the 10K main event down there and decided at the last minute to pull out. Well, the same thing actually happened on this trip to Vegas. I woke up that day, the, the day that I was planning on playing, and I realized I, I didn't feel right. I hadn't slept that great. And maybe I was you know, a little too focused on some bad beats I had taken in the previous day's tournament. And you know, realizing that it was going to be a very large field and probably a fairly competitive one, although there were certainly a number of satellite winners and contest winners participating, I thought that generally the tables would be fairly tough. And, you know, I just, I know myself, guys, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to bring my A game on that day. And I decided not to play in the main event at all. Uh, I, I was planning on playing the last day. So if I didn't play that day, I couldn't play at all. And I opted out. Now, you know, did I have any type of FOMO as I was watching my friend Matt Stout <laughs> amass an enormous chip stack? Or as I'm watching my new friend, Michael Longcar, do the same thing? Um, no, I actually didn't have any type of FOMO. I stand by my decision. And I think that this is a, a key to long-term success. Tournament poker, cash game poker, any of it, you've got to know when you're not really in the mood that day. Like if I wake up and the first person I interact with, be it a barista or somebody in the elevator at the hotel or whatever, gets on my nerves, and that's a bad sign for me. That means I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm very likely to be overly emotional about little things that might start to eat away at me and cause me to not play my best at the table. Now, you could say, well, Clayton, you're supposed to be a pro and you shouldn't be susceptible to that sort of emotional fluctuation. And if that's what you're saying to your podcast device right now, you're not wrong. I can't disagree. But at the same time, I'm a human being. And to me, $10,000 is a lot of money. Now, if I lose 10400 in one tournament in Las Vegas. Is it going to materially impact my lifestyle or change anything about the day-to-day -day world of Clayton Fletcher? Well, no, but it's more just knowing that I don't have to play. And because I don't have backers, I don't have a sponsor that's forcing me to play in a particular event, uh, I have the option of opting out. And so even though this is probably, you know, the biggest event outside of the World Series of Poker played on American soil this year, I knew that I wasn't about to give it my best and I wasn't going to be able to bring my A game for 12 hours of day one and be able to come back the next day if I managed to make day two and play very well that day as well and decided to go right back to sleep. And I'm glad I did, you know, no FOMO. Here, So let me ask you guys, have you ever 
gone on a trip with the intention of playing a certain tournament and then decided for any reason not to? I want to hear your answers to that question. Uh, tweet them at me, Clayton Comic, on Twitter, and let me know what you think. You guys can also uh, sign up for our Discord. There's a link in the description of this podcast where you can become a part of our Discord server, which is very active these days. We have a section on we're discussing the podcast. We have a section on discussing strategy, uh, all kinds of different topics that you can find on there uh, you know, about our partnership with America's Card Room. So yeah, just click on the link. It doesn't cost you anything and become a member. And that's where we're doing most of the giveaways, guys. So if you want to participate in free rolls and you know get a shot at possibly even playing the $2,600 Venom the next time around, uh, that's the place you need to be. So just click the link in the description to join our Discord. But my question is, have you ever taken a trip with the intention of playing in a particular event and then once you arrived, have you ever decided not to? Because now here it's twice in my career that I've done just that. But you know what tournament I did not miss, guys. Everybody say it with me. The Mystery Bounty. You know that if they're having a Mystery Bounty tournament, I am absolutely positively going to be there. So I only fired one bullet and it was on day 1C of the Mystery Bounty. I had other commitments on the other days in Vegas, so I wasn't able to play day 1A or 1B. Uh, I want to talk about this tournament, first of all. They guaranteed a $2 million prize pool, and the actual prize pool was up close to $6 million. So that right there is just unbelievable. Similarly, the main event guaranteed a $15 million, which is unheard of, astronomical prize pool and they basically doubled it coming in at a cool 29 million in which the top six places all paid at least one million dollars for that main event very very impressive uh let's talk about the rake you guys know i'm a rake knit i like to know how much of the money i plunk down is actually going to the prize pool now some casinos they get tricky with you they're like well this is a uh, a dealer fee or a staff bonus that's going to be three percent of the prize pools coming out and they don't talk about that in terms of the buy-in and they hope that none of us do the math but i can tell you guys the actual rake in these tournaments i don't care if you call it a rake for the staff or the rake for the house or whatever it's just money that we don't get back right and i expect there to be some amount i don't mind paying about 10 percent or less to play in most of the tournaments that I play. Well, the win, as always, doing everything right, the Mystery Bounty turned out to be a $1,450 plus $150. So it's a $1,600 buy-in in which only $150 is raked away and the other $1,450 going right to the players. Okay, and that includes whatever, you know, things they would normally try to hide the fees and take out a tip for the dealers and all that. This money was in the actual prize pool. 1450 of every 1600, right around 10%, and the main event was 9800 plus 600. So there, right around 6% rake in that one. So those are good. Those are good numbers. That's about what we expect to pay at these buy-in levels and don't let other casinos take your money by raking 20, 25, even 30% for similar buy-ins. Guys, don't be afraid to ask the tournament director what percentage 
or what dollar amount of this buy-in actually goes to the prize pool. And by the way, that's the way you should ask the question. Don't ask how much is rake, how much is house fee, because uh, again, many times they have these other fees that, that are kind of hidden. You have to read the fine print. But if you just ask how much of that money goes to the prize pool, they have to answer that question honestly. So there's my tip of the week for you guys that are watching every penny, as we all should be. So I sat down to play in this mystery bounty tournament, and it was after the main event had already started. So I decided to take that time off until I was feeling better, and I went ahead and plunked down my 1600 and I was excited to play the mystery bounty. Many of you will remember last summer during the World Series of Poker, I played in several mystery bounty tournaments, managed to make day two of one of them, and did not get to open an envelope. So my goal for this one was to make day two again and hopefully get my hands on one of those elusive envelopes. Now, if you don't know how mystery bounty tournaments work, on day two, everyone is in the money. Okay, so you're in the money, but if you bust an opponent, you get to open an envelope. And in that envelope will be a prize ranging from $500 in cash all the way up to $250,000 real money. So it's pretty exciting. I love the format. I'm very excited that this format is taking hold and they're doing it in different casinos around the country. It was originally uh, the brainchild <laughs> of the World Series of Poker. Uh, they planned to do one uh, in 2020, but as we know, there was no World Series of Poker that year. So the win is actually the first casino in America that decided to uh, take the idea and basically steal it and make it their own. And now we see mystery bounties all over the world. So uh, on this one, I was absolutely crushing it early. Uh, you start off with 30,000 in tournament chips. And I'm telling you guys, I, in the first hour, I picked up pocket aces three times. They held up three times and I got paid on all of them. I flopped two sets and also picked up pocket kings once and ace king twice. This is all in the first hour. So, uh, of course, my table image looked like I was crazy. Uh, it seemed like I was raising just about every hand. I was having a run of cards that you normally could only dream of. And even then, you'd wake up from the dream being like, that dream was unrealistic. So within the first hour, I had doubled my 30,000 starting stack, and I was doing great. And my table mates were absolutely confused about what was going on. It really looked like I was bullying the table. But I'm telling you guys, I didn't have to because I really had it every time. So anyway, uh, let's move forward to the second break. The second break ends, and we just come back to 400-800 with an 800 big blind ante. I was at a pretty good table. Uh, some of my opponents seemed like they were either on tilt from having busted out of the main event, or perhaps they just you know weren't that good at poker to begin with. Uh, the opponent in this particular hand is not one of those players. He was probably the most skilled player at the table. He was uh, probably 30-something um, Asian gentleman from the Seattle area as I had overheard him mentioning to another player. Now, for me, that was not good or bad news, as I've never played poker in Seattle, and I don't know what the uh, prevailing style of poker is in that part of the country. But uh, just from observing this player, he struck me as a competent professional player who knew 
a thing or two about No Limit Hold'em tournaments. And he opens, again, it's 4-8. He opens to 2K with about 75,000 in his stack. And he was in the hijack position. And everyone folds to me in the small blind, holding once again pocket aces. I, I couldn't believe it myself. I picked up so many big hands in the first couple of hours. And now here we are after the second break. And the you know the luck is just continuing. So clearly I need to three bet with this hand. I'm out of position. I have the nuts. And you know, let's build the pot. So I make it 6,500. Again, he had raised to 2K. I made it 6,500. I had over 100,000 in my stack at this point. And the action folds back to the original raiser who just calls. So the two biggest stacks at the table are about to play a fairly big pot. And the pot is now 15,000. And so our opponent has about 75 in his stack. So the SPR is about five. The flop comes queen of hearts, seven of diamonds, tray of clubs. So queen, seven, tray, and I can't picture a much better flop for pocket aces that doesn't have an ace in it. So I was cheerful to bet. Uh, I wanted to try to get action from not only when my opponent has a queen, but also I want to get curious calls from medium pairs like pocket eights. So we, we can't bet too big here. We don't want to polarize ourselves and we don't want to make it impossible for those hands to call. We are so far ahead of all of those medium pairs that might have raised and then called the three bet in position. So I just made it 4,400 into the 15,000 pot and my opponent called rather quickly. So at that point, I thought he might have a queen and just be worried that I have exactly what I have. The overpair. I thought he might also have a hand like pocket eights, pocket nines, pocket tens. Those are the kinds of hands that don't want to keep raising pre-flop and have a tough decision if I shove on them after they four bet. Um, and also they can't really fold to my three bet, even if I do have the sickest table image in the history of mystery bounty tournaments. So I bet 4,400 and he called. Now with 23,800 in the middle, the turn comes the eight of spades. So all four suits, Badoogie on the board, and the board is now queen, seven, tray, eight. And the action is on Clayton with 23,800 in the middle. I bet small again. I mean, I don't love the eight because, of course, my opponent, I thought pocket eights was a reasonable hand for him to have, but it's just as reasonable for him to have nines or sixes or tens. So we can't worry about everything. I can reevaluate if this tough player decides to raise me on 4th Street, which I really don't expect him to do very often as a bluff, given the relative proximity to pot commitment that doing so would put him. So I just bet 6500 into 23800 and again, the opponent just called. So I'm feeling pretty good. I think aces are good a lot, and it's starting to feel more like my opponent could have queen X in his range a lot. And now with 36,800 in the middle, opponent with 55K behind. So he's got about one and a half times the pot in his current stack. And the river pairs the board with the queen of spades. So a final board of queen, seven, tray, eight, queen. Uh, this time, I don't really see a lot of value in 
betting. I think that most of the hands that can call a bet are Queen X type of hands or other hands that have me beat. Uh, I don't really expect him to call with pocket nines again. It's just too many ways he can lose, right? And it's unlikely that I'm bluffing, especially given these sizings that I've chosen. I haven't really been putting him to the test very much. Another way to put it is that if the eight didn't get me on fourth, well, the queen on the river might have. So I was starting to get a little bit scared of the board and decided that I would be better off just checking and planning to usually call. I mean, there are so many hands that might go for thin value. Depending on the sizing, I probably have to call a lot of river bets. Now, if he shoves on the end, I can maybe consider folding because it's just such a big chunk of my stack and you really don't see players doing that uh, in, in tournaments like this one very often. I mean, it does happen, but I think that most of his bluffs would be for a different amount. So even though that is the right amount, if you want to polarize yourself where you either have a queen or nothing, uh, you should be going all in. In practice, it doesn't really happen that much at the $1,600 buy-in level. Although if there is a player at this table that's capable of it, my opponent in this hand is that player. But I check and he kind of makes my life easy just betting 8500 into the 36800 pot. I mean, yeah, he should make this kind of play sometimes with a queen or other hand that has me beat. You know, I don't know. I just, I can't really fold getting such a good price. It's less than a quarter of the pot. So I'm getting more than five to one on a call. And so I have to call with aces, right? So I did. And he turned over the five tray of hearts for just bottom pair. So I was very surprised. I didn't think that my opponent would have called the three bet with such a weak hand. But I suppose relatively deep stacked, there's not that much harm in doing so. Uh, Yeah, I'd like to see him bet a little bigger on the end if he really wants to put me to the test. Uh, it seems like a not the right sizing there for a bluff. He can really only get me to fold when I have nothing. And when I have nothing, his pair of trays are good anyway. So that was a really good hand. Uh, you know, nice boon to our already formidable stack. And let's do one more hand a little bit later in the day, uh, let's go to the blinds are 500 and 1,000 with the 1,000 ante, and we have 140,000. So we're doing great. We've got 140 big blinds. Um, the average stack at this point in the tournament was under 60K. So yeah, we were just really crushing it, feeling good, starting to think about envelopes and making day two and how much the prize pool is going to end up being and how many envelopes I'm going to be able to collect. And then you got to bring yourself back down to earth. You know, it's so important. It's kind of like baseball. It's a long season. You never want to get too up or too down. I was happy that I was doing well, but there's still quite a lot of poker yet to play here on day one. So it's not like I can start counting the envelopes yet. So anyway, I put myself back in my place. And then in this hand, 501K with a 1K the uh, same table, and the action folds to me this time in the hijack, holding the ace of hearts, king of hearts. Did I mention I was picking up a lot of premium starting hands in this tournament? So I was thrilled to see yet another playable hand. I raised it up to 2200 which had been basically the, uh, the standard raise at this point in the tournament at this level. 
We were doing 2.2x. Uh, a very tight player, young guy, um, may have been European. I wasn't sure. He didn't really talk much, but he had a nice haircut. He looked like he had his act together. Clean cut guy um, in his 20s who had been extremely tight. I think he late regged this tournament and was kind of staying out of trouble. He's only got about 45,000 in his stack. So he's he's just got 45 big blinds and he three bets from 2,200 up to 7,500. And the action folds back to me holding the ace of hearts, king of hearts. Now against most opponents, I believe in just shoving here. You know, let's race for 45 big blinds. I don't mind taking a third of my stack and sticking it right in there with such a strong starting hand. And also, you know, as we discussed with Michael Longcar, there aren't any solvers that have you flatting here. Like we're supposed to get it in, try to get it in, get as much of our stack in. This was an exploitative decision that I made. And maybe some of you will disagree with it. Again, Clayton Comic or on our Discord server. That's where I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what you think of my decision to just flat. It's a pretty large three bet. I'm going to be in position and it's a very tight opponent that I have literally never seen get out of line at all. So is that enough for you to say, let's just go ahead and flat? Obviously, we're not folding ace-king suited, but it, does this convince you to stop raising or do you just say, look, Clayton, you've got a great hand. Try to get it all in with this kid and let the chips fall where they may. Or do you think like I did, You've accumulated this big stack by not playing any huge coin flip type of pots. You might as well just call and see the flop. So I chose the latter, but I want to know what you guys think. Anyway, I just call and now there's about 17K in the middle and Villain has about 40, 38 to 40K in his stack. And the flop comes Queen of Hearts, Six of Spades, Deuce of Clubs, Queen, Six, Deuce, Rainbow with one heart, Hero holding the Ace of Hearts, King of Hearts, and the opponent puts in a small C-bet, 4K into 17K. What to do with Ace-King suited in position? I think you can raise. I mean, definitely that is going to work some of the time. Uh, Any raise is basically communicating. I am officially threatening your stack if you call this raise it is likely that I will put the rest in on the next card. So are you ready to do that? You feeling lucky, punk? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, That is a viable play. But I think that calling is also okay. I tend to be a little bit more passive when I'm in position and when I'm aware of my opponent's proximity to pot commitment. You know, I really don't want to have him get committed to this pot by raising, and then I won't be able to bluff him anymore because he's going to feel like he put in too much. And so if he has anything at that point, many players will, they'll check hoping you don't bet, but when you do bet, they're not folding, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to avoid that situation. I'm I'm very much aware of the SPR on the flop. It's just over two. So I decided to just float, just flat call here, the 4K on the, on the flop and see what materializes on 4th Street. So now with 25,000 in the middle and Villain with about 35-ish in his stack, 
the turn comes the seven of hearts. So our board is now queen of hearts, six of spades, deuce of clubs, seven of hearts. So we have picked up a flush draw with our ace king suited and villain checks. So the action is on Clayton and what to do in this position. I mean, I guess if you float the flop and now you pick up all this equity on the turn, you may as well bet the turn. But let's think about sizing. Once again, opponent has just under 35K in his stack and the pot is 25K. So how much to bet with the ace-king suited on this seven of hearts turn? I went for a small sizing, and that may surprise some of you. Typically, uh, the turn bet is bigger than the flop bet as a percentage of the pot and, of course, in chip value. I decided to just go 6K here. I think it's annoying. I think that Villain will have a tough decision if he doesn't have at least top pair. And also, I don't think that he's ever folding top pair or better, no matter how much I bet. So it just felt like the right play at the right time. I went with 6K, which is an unusually small bet for me, just about a quarter of the existing pot. And Villain looked a little pained. I'm not going to lie. He didn't seem too happy. I think that he might have been happier had I bet 12K because it would have been easier for him to get away from whatever he had. So perhaps I should have done that. But at the time when I made the bet, I wasn't really sure what the check on the turn actually meant. So let's recap the action. Opponent three bet my late position open from the small blind and then did a small continuation bet on the flop and then checked the turn, which brought two hearts. Uh, so I bet small on the turn and he decided to call. So now there is 37 thousand in the middle and villain only has about 28 ish behind he's got you know significantly less than a pot size bet remaining and the river comes the queen of clubs for a final board of queen of hearts six of spades deuce of clubs seven of hearts queen of clubs and again villain checks so what to do now it's not my favorite card i was hoping to make a flush and make my decision really easy or at least pair my ace or my king for goodness sake instead i've got to sit here and look at this paired board and you might think to yourself well if the guy can call on the turn he can also call on the river and i would believe you had i made a more substantial bet on the turn the fact that i bet so small on the turn he may have just felt a little bit too compelled to call and just see what happens on the river, meaning he could have a draw or meaning he could have a small piece of this or perhaps a pocket pair uh, below queens, maybe nines, tens, similar to the other hand. Uh, those hands kind of make sense. They don't really want to get it in against my range for calling a C bet on the flop and then making a small bet myself on the turn. So yeah, he could easily have called on 4th Street with a hand like pocket nines and then kind of still feel like maybe he's good on the river when the queen pairs, making it that much more unlikely that I've got a queen in my hand. So he does check again. And what should I do? I don't know. I The more I think about this hand, the more I think the best play for me is to give up. Just check behind. Maybe we both have ace-king. Maybe we'll chop this pot some of the time. 
Um, the bet sizings are so small, it's hard to range the opponent. It doesn't really define your hand when you just bet 6K into 25K against opponents who might be paying attention to pot odds and bet sizing and things of that nature. So maybe that's the best play. I'll never know because I decided to be a big stack bully and I bet enough to put my opponent all in and he looked absolutely sick, shook his head and threw his hand away. But despite winning that pot, I'm not really sure if I'm happy with how I played it. How many of you want me to just get all in pre-flop? How many of you uh, want me to bet bigger on the turn or maybe not bet the turn at all? And how many of you disagree adamantly with my decision to shove on the end when the top card pairs? I want to hear what you guys have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at Clayton Comic and let me know what you think of this hand. Or just click the link in the description to this podcast to join the Tournament Poker Edge Discord. Now that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank you guys, especially those of you who have left five-star reviews on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you may be downloading and enjoying this content. It means so much to us. You guys have no idea how much it helps the podcast and the whole operation we've got going here at TPE. Those five-star reviews do more than you can imagine, and it's something you can do for free to help us keep this thing going. And with special thanks to our incredible sponsor, America's Card Room, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Happy holidays, everybody, and thank you so much for listening. Them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Yeah.